We're going to talk today about Psalm 145. And I want to start out with a story from a novel, the novel A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. The main character in that novel is Ebenezer Scrooge, which I have been compared to sometimes uh, over my history. And Ebenezer Scrooge attended a dinner party hosted by his nephew, and at that party, they did a party game called The Minister's Cat. And it goes something like this. The goal of the game was to go around a circle. So everybody, all the guests were in a circle facing each other. And the goal was to go around the circle one by one. And the host would give a letter to start with. And they would then take that letter and let's say it was the letter N. And they would clap to keep the timing going. They'd go, the minister's cat is a nasty cat or the minister's cat was a nice cat. And then until they ran, until somebody ran out of the ability to make up an adjective with the letter N, and at that point, that person had to stand up and stand behind their chair, and they would no longer participate in the game. And then it would go on to the next person who, we, who would then pick up the next letter in the alphabet, in this case, N-O. They'd pick up O, and they say, okay, the minister's cat is an old cat, or whatever they came up with, until they ran out of, somebody ran out of the ability to come up with that one. Then they would have to stand up behind the chair, and they would go around the circle until they ran out of the ability to go any further, and there was one person left. And, and that was the goal of the game, that in sort of a basic way, they, it, the game was to show how difficult it is just to think of words that would describe the cat. To appreciate the difficulty posed by this model, which is the acrostic model, consider how difficult you would find it to compose a 26-verse poem with each verse starting with the next letter of the alphabet from A to Z. Now, I tried starting that, and I was able to think of letters A through D to describe God. I said, A, awesome, B, beautiful, C, creator, D, divine. And you know what? It was still hard, because then you start getting into some other letters where it doesn't come to you, and especially if you're under some kind of time constraint, it makes it even harder to come up with those different uh, names for God. So let's, but it was still an important exercise because it helps to introduce what we're looking at in Psalm 145. For a few, few moments, I'd like to discuss two aspects of Psalm 145. First of all, the unique and beautiful language of Psalm 145. Then I'd like to talk about the beautiful terminology used in Psalm 145 to express praise to God. The title of Psalm 145, David's Psalm of Praise, or as other translations, as you can see on the screen, a Psalm of Praise of David. This is a singular title used only in this one psalm. 
It is the only psalm which has in its title the Hebrew word for hallelujah. This holy hymn is characterized by praise, not thanksgiving or even prayer. It is strictly a psalm of praise. Praise is said to be the pastime of heaven and the employment of eternity is how praise is described. We will not preach in heaven. We will not need faith or hope in heaven. But we will sing and praise. Here is a glad psalm. Many of the songs in the book of songs, which is Psalms of Israel, are on the sad side, as though written on a foggy day. But here in this particular psalm, the sun is shining. It is as if the veil covering heaven was removed and the Holy Spirit inspired David to record the songs of heaven. In a beautiful and purposeful way, Psalm 145 follows an acrostic model, such as that game we talked about at the beginning, of poetic writing in which each verse of the psalm begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, starting at the beginning and going all the way to the end. From A to Z, this is a psalm or a hymn of praise. So let's read the first 10 verses of Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness for they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, in this case, to the King David opening, if you will, just for a little time, the veil of heaven and allowing him to see that in heaven it's all praise. There's no agenda other than we want to praise you in heaven. So God, help us today to grasp the glory and the majesty and the kindness and the goodness of you, O oh God, so that we may then in turn praise you in song. We ask this in your name. Amen. So in addition to its acrostic structure, 
The psalmist indicates in the broad scope of intended praise through four commitments to worship. He identifies four specific groups of people or creation or others that have a commitment to praise God. The first is in verses 1 and 2 is individual. I will extol you, my God and King. Verse 4 expresses an intergenerational commitment to praise, one generation to another. Verse 10 expresses two corporate commitments to praise. The first is from creation, all your works. And the second is from God's followers, all your saints. In the final verse, 21, both individual, my mouth, and corporate, all flesh commitments are made with the assurance that they will endure through time forever and ever. So let's look at some of these verses that we just talked about. I will extol you, my God and King. There's that imperative. And bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. One generation, this is verse 4, shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Now I have to stop here for a minute. And this is where I'm sure the leadership gets a little bit nervous when I just stop. (laughs) And there's nothing in my notes to go with this. But this verse has just been a verse that has been in my heart really for decades. Probably over 30 years I've carried this one verse in my heart of telling the next generation about the works of God. This is something that I have longed to do, something that I will continue pursuing because I love to see the next generation grow in their praise and worship of God. I look on the front row here and I look at all the different people in, of the next generation and I go, this is what I did this for <laughs> so that they would grow up and love God and worship God. This verse, it's like God opened up my heart and he wrote the word generations on my heart and I can't get rid of that. That's what I love to do is tell the next generation about the greatness of our God. So, getting back to it, verse 10. In all your works, all your works shall, there's that imperative again, shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. Let's skip down to verse number 21. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever. The commitments that we talk about, the shalls and the wills in verses 1 through 2, 4, 10, and 21 are interspersed with specifics of God's greatness and God's goodness. Think of those two terms, God's greatness and God's goodness. Verses 3 through 6 and 11 through 13 illustrate the praise of God's greatness using bold language, His might, His glory, greatness, fame, and power. In contrast, verses 7 through 9, 13 through 20, 
capture the praise of God's goodness depicted through tender language. He is gracious. He is merciful, compassionate, faithful, just, and kind. So when you pull these together, the cumulative picture presented in Psalm 145 is a many-faceted account of the nature of worship of God's greatness and His goodness and His act of care for humanity. So let's start again with verse number 5. On the glorious, there's that might, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud your righteousness. Then as if the light gets expanded and it's almost like the light turns and starts looking at the, the characteristics of God's goodness and His graciousness. Look at verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That is almost an exact quote from Exodus 34. So I'm going to turn to Exodus 34, verse 6. This is the story of when God descended on Mount Sinai and he covered the whole mountain with his glory, with his cloud. And you can imagine the whole earth shook and the cloud of glory and captured and encased the mountain. And you can imagine the people are going, oh my, what is he going to say from that? And here's what he said. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Not what you would have expected coming from a cloud of holiness, but that is who God is. God is faithful. He is gracious. He is merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 9, the Lord is good, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in his works. Then skipping down to verse 21, verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love him but the wicked he will destroy. There's the justice of God, but the mercy of God also displayed. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's take a little bit more in-depth look at two things that were said in, this, in these scriptures. The goodness of God, verses 8 and 9, the goodness of God. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all he has made. Verse 9 emphasizes goodness and compassion to all the people. Here the word seems to be uniquely inclusive. Rather than expressing a defined totality such as the nation of Israel, this passage seems to indicate that 
the psalm refers to all humanity and all of creation. Moreover, verse 9 echoes verse 1 and captures God as the king over all he has made, capital God, not one king, little k, among many different kings. He is the king over all. One commentator suggests that Psalm 145 is best understood as an extrapolation of how God's character, self-giving, his characteristic self-giving is experienced in the daily blessings of creation. Now, this does not mean eternal salvation extends to all those who have not put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ. God does express his goodness to all, though, he has made through common grace. And then God's active care, verses 14 through 21. Although the second portion of the text begins with verse 14, it may be helpful in reading to start with the last part of verse 13. This phrase transitions from God's dominion, as we talked about, and rule to God's nurture and care for those who are frail and needy. In other words, the transcendent and powerful God is also strengthening God to individual people. Looking at verse 13, the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Now, I don't know how many of you at some point or another in your life have gone through an extended period of illness, extended period of wondering what's next. I think of uh, Chris Yates. I think of other people who are, are still going through difficult times. And what this tells me, the beauty of what this says, is that God upholds all those who are falling. And he raises up all those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in his works. Verse 15 and 16 in many ways echoes what Shane talked about last week. That God gives liberally to all living things through an open hand rather than a clenched fist. It's not like we have to go to God and just say, God, just open up a little bit so that we can get some of what you have there. No, God gives to his creation and to his people through an open hand. And in all things God does, God is just and kind. Verse 17, God is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his work. Now let's talk for a minute about the terminology David uses to express his praise, and it is also multifaceted. First of all, he uses a word that you don't hear too much in many, even messages, but in day-to-day -day talking. I will extol you. The Hebrew word for extol means to lift up, to set on high, to promote, to raise, to exalt, to hold up. It means to elevate in our minds and by our attitudes and actions our reverence for God. It is expressing the greatest possible admiration of God. 
I will extol you, my God. Then he also says, I will bless. The Hebrew word to bless means to kneel in adoration, to salute, to thank. David, as God's king to the nations, adores Almighty God as his king above all kings and bows in humble adoration of him. May we likewise say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Psalm 103.1. So we have extol, to lift up, to bless, to kneel in adoration. Then a third term David uses in this psalm, I will praise. The Hebrew means to boast to rave, to celebrate, to commend, to glory, and to sing. Praise originates within, but to fully praise, there must be an outward expression. Praise is not something we just keep to ourselves, but it's something that we spell forth and express in our actions and in our words. Why then are we not more vocal in our praise of God in private and in public? If God says we are to praise him, why are we reserved in that? Why is our praise subdued? Why then are we, when we gather to celebrate God, is praise subdued? We're getting better, but it's still subdued. Is it because we are more self-conscious than we are God-conscious? In a godless society, some seem to be embarrassed to show their true appreciation for the God who loves them and lifted them. However, they are not embarrassed to exude praise for their favorite sports team. And in many cases here, their favorite New York team. Sports figure, singer, etc. I, I, I look at some of these videos I see of this Taylor Swift phenomenon going on, and people are going nuts. 50,000 people shouting at the top of their lungs in praise to her, a person, a good singer, but still a person. One pastor writes, what then is the essence of worship? It is the celebration of God. That's what worship is. When we worship God, we celebrate him. We extol him. We sound his praises. We boast in him. A worship service is a celebration of God. And that's what we're called to do, celebrate God. David covers all his bases for when he says he will praise God forever and ever. Twice he uses the words forever and ever, verses 1 and 21. He says, in essence, I will praise you in the future and as well and good, for we will certainly occupy ourselves in heaven by extolling, blessing, and praising the one who bought us and brought us to the Father's house. But praise is the only activity that we are called upon to do now and we will continue to do for eternity. We do it now, but then we will also do it throughout all eternity. He also says, every day I will bless you. He did not say, every time I go to a church meeting, I will praise you. Praise should be daily. The Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing to the Lord accompanied 
by loud instruments. That's 2 Chronicles 30, 21. 2 Chronicles 30, 21. C.S. Lewis wrote, We praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed as we express our love one to another. Praise is vital for a healthy soul. Praise is valued by God. Praise should be visible and vocal. For praise from the upright is beautiful. Psalm 33, 1. Let us resolve as David did to extol, bless, and praise God in every day and forever and ever. The cumulative picture presented in Psalm 145 is a many-sided though overlapping account of the nature of worship of God's greatness, His goodness, and concrete positive involvement with us as humanity. The final verse of Psalm 145 expresses the commitment of the psalmist and the universe to continue in praise of God. More importantly, it suggests this praise will have an everlasting, permanent quality. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. It's my mouth and then all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. We are then called to invest in and proclaim the ongoing praise of our God, the King, whose selfless giving is manifest daily in each blessing of creation. Now, as I was preparing this message, a few songs of praise and worship kept coming to mind. I would like to use the words of these songs to help us focus on the goodness and greatness of our God. The first song is, Be Unto Your Name. We are a moment, you are forever. Lord of the ages, God before time. We are a vapor, you are eternal. Love everlasting, reigning on high. Holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Highest praises, honor, and glory be unto your name. Be unto your name. We are the broken, but you are the healer. Jesus, redeemer, mighty to save. You are the love song, speaking to God, Jesus. You are the love song we'll sing forever. Bowing before you, blessing your name. Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Highest praises, honor, and glory be unto your name. Be unto your name. Then another song that kept coming to my mind is a song called Hymn of Heaven. How I long to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets to look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity. There will be a day when we all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more. Standing face to face with he who died and rose again, holy, holy is the Lord. Verse 3, 
And on that day, we will join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith with one voice a thousand generations saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain forever he shall reign. So let it be today we shout the hymn of heaven. With angels and the saints we raise a mighty roar. Glory to our God who gave us life beyond the grave. Holy, holy is the Lord. Holy, holy is the Lord. Let us take, now, take time now to worship our God for a moment, not offering petitions to him or our needs to him, but just offering praise and worship to our God. Now, for those of you who have not acknowledged that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, let the words of Psalm 145 serve as an invitation to confess your sins and repent to this holy, righteous, and forgiving God. Then you too can praise and worship this one true God with us. And I would encourage you today, if you do not know him, today can be your day of salvation. Then, for those of us who are believers, hmm, let's practice for heaven.